You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions, or even the answers, are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host... Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and joining me as always as my trusted co-host, Ben Triplett. Ben, we've talked about this on the show before, and uh, I don't think it's any secret that you have fatherhood looming in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, what is one huge question that you have about fatherhood? How do I do it? How do you do it? <laughs> give, um, give me a rule book. A rule book. Well, play by play. the book that you need to read um, actually is best handled with a glass of whiskey. No, um, you're asking, like, how do you do it? Uh, I mean, I think that there's, there's a great design. <laughs> there's some intelligent design uh, in the fact that babies start out small and they don't talk and they can't move. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, you know, it's that whole you learn it as you go. Yeah. Um, you know, I think if they came out already uh, articulate and everything else, I think our brains would just explode. Mm-hmm. No, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that really just be true to who you and your wife are. And I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I think that just being who you guys are will end up molding that child, hopefully, into a pretty sweet, cool kid yeah, in the process. So. And yeah. I've, I've, I've heard probably one of the most important things is just being able to kind of forgive yourself and already accept that you're going to make mistakes. And I think at least parents who care really are hard on themselves about, you know, well, I didn't do this right. Or you're just scared that any little kind of move or anything is going to, you know, have this indelible mark on your child. And, um, and again, these are the the parents who care. Yeah. Um, well, that's, I mean, that's the, I mean, one of the, the good rules of thumb are you're right. Like don't hold on to guilt yourself. You just guilt the child. Uh, <laughs> So that that's kind of how you get it off. Sarcasm. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And it's, I, it's interesting because even sometimes, like I think about kind of doing the show, and one of the scary things about recording and putting things on the internet is it's like you in a moment of time forever. That's and true. Ever. Well, that, and ever. That's why I've actually <laughs> never really wanted to write a book because I feel like you know once that freeze frame happens in time, it's almost like you can't progress beyond it. I mean, you can, mm-hmm. you know, but a lot of times people will hold you to that standard with where you were at as yeah. if, but actually as if I were to read a book, I don't think anyone would hold me to any kind of standard because that would require people reading it and it being beloved. <laughs> but, um, but and yeah, I, I, I tend to be so opinionated about things, uh, especially when I'm like processing, that's the way my brain kind of chews through something is mm-hmm. to really kind of blow it out of proportion and, um, you know, especially like one of my good friends, Jonathan, um, we like to talk a lot about art and music and I, I just speak in so much hyperbole with him. And then I always realize that, you know, probably a week down the road, I'm going to back off of it in some way. And he's always a nice balance to me to sort of push me back. So I think, it, and, and it's tough when you meet people that don't know you and don't know that you're, you process in that way. Um, you know, that they sort of take that hyperbole and they're like, wow, you know, like really like everything or 
it's the most whatever, you know, really. Um, so, but I, mean, I don't know. Some people like process in that way. Some and, people, which is a good transition to what we're talking about, people that process in hyperbole, uh, running for president right yeah. now. I mean, I think that I, I there think, is a lot of. Well, uh, you're right. I mean, it's it's very it's 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 really funny watching the Don go through this because I think half the time he's just like he's just processing out loud. He's he's yeah. work, he's working it out. And he really does. I mean, gosh, I I, I just I like intentionally don't pay it. I don't watch. Uh, debates normally and I don't kind of buy into the I don't really pay attention to the commercials and things like that this time of year I usually try to read more than I listen to people's speeches because I mean so much of it is usually crafted beforehand and it's written by other people and you know it's not I don't think it's a very true reflection of what that person thinks especially now that there are cameras on all the time but uh, just watching some John Oliver recently and actually listening to what Donald Trump's saying in the moment, I'm like, good gracious. I mean, he really does. He yeah. really overstates everything he, he says. Yeah, I'm saying he just lacks that normal filter, you know, where like the, you know, that you know, just not to speak everything that's like on top of your head. Yeah. That thing's gone. Or maybe it was never there. Right. It's, it's, I don't know. There's, and, and I try to I try to be sympathetic towards everything, but it's after a while I'm like, gosh, you know, does everything have to be sort of like blown all the way to like you? And and John Oliver makes the point that he's all about winning, and he always talks about how he's the best and he wins and da 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 da. You know what's going to happen if he loses? Um, which there's a very good chance of that right now. So, which we'll actually get to some of that um, a little bit later in the show, because again, I think as he's feeling this, the tide going out on himself right now, I, I think what, what's beginning is we're hearing the rhetoric of the political system being rigged. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if you're going to lose, you at least, I mean, well, think about this. I mean, I was I, cheated. Yeah. I mean, think about the football season coming up, you know, um, or actually any sports, but you, it, everything in, and I guess the way that we perceive it the way that sports writers write about it, you know, everything comes down to one play. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah, it'll be absolutely. that, it'll be the hail Mary at the end that wins it and seals everything else. But, but you know what, what people don't realize because we just don't want to think about it. I think is that there's like the whole rest of the game, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, you know, that that's going on that, you know, should your team have been in a position to where they had to try some sort of a desperate prayer at the end of the game. I don't know. I mean, I think, I mean, and I think that we just tend to focus on this, this one part of it mm-hmm. and not the entire, in the entirety of the whole thing. Yeah. And, and I think the selection is, is, is very similar in that, in that, um, in that one, this is, this is a long haul that we've kind of been through. And I think one of the reasons that, that I, I would agree with you that I think we just have like election fatigue right now. Yeah. You know, we've heard enough, even though I will tell you, I will, I don't know that I'll actually sit through the whole debate because there's a, there's a Trump, uh, Trump and Clinton debate later this month. Mm-hmm. Um, I may just catch the, the highlights and like, again, like you said, read about it because some of it just ends up being, um, well, I mean, there's probably better ways I could sit and listen to two people talk about nothing <laughs> and yell right. at each other, you know, for an hour and a half or whatever. Uh, because a lot of times I, I, you know, for me on both sides is watching it, I'll, I'll end up getting frustrated at both candidates because they're just so full of crap, mm-hmm. um, when they need to be, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, political speak and everything else like that too. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it is, it, it begins to get worrisome and bothersome and, uh, we've done several shows already on really well on the Donness, 
Um, and uh, his messianic-like rise to fame with everybody uh, in the religious right, the, mm-hmm. a lot of the, the, I guess, the conservatives and, and folks in those camps. I mean, even it was, I think it was a week or so ago, where Jerry Falwell Jr., who's the president of Liberty University, was comparing him to, to Winston Churchill. Mm, okay. Um, and maybe I'm just thinking of maybe body shape. Maybe that's what he was going for. I don't know. I don't know if Trump could rock a monocle. Yeah. But maybe he could. I don't know. He's um, does he ever smoke the cigar? Um, he probably didn't smokes Winston, something. Then Winston Churchill smokes cigars. Yeah, cigars. Yeah. Like I mean, that. they probably actually have a a very similar hairline. Mm-hmm. We just can't see it. Now I didn't realize it. Do you, somewhere I read. Uh, the creator of not Spielberg, but or whoever created or wrote um, Back to the Future, apparently based Biff on Donald Trump. Yeah. Oh, Back to the Future too. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're saying one or just when they actually well, I think had just the character? Biff's yeah. Rise of I fame. mean, more more or less, it's it's two, but even just the sort of general. Yeah, I think it's more two. But yeah, that he was, and you can totally see that. Oh yeah, I mean, well there there was a a great. Um, I guess a hashtag kind of thing going through Twitter recently where it was Trump explains movies. Uh-huh. And so actually they mentioned back to the future where it was from his perspective is like that, uh, the doc and Marty are losers because they had to use a time machine to be able to win and the whole thing. <laughs> Cause Biff's a good guy. He's classy. Yeah. Uh, which was kind he of did funny. It the right way. Yeah. So <laughs> absolutely. By, by doing the exact same thing that Marty was going to do. Yes. <laughs> well, but if you do think about it, I mean, at the end of the movie, there may be a point there. Yeah. You know, if life would have taken its course. That's true. I don't know. <laughs> Dang, Marty, I'm done. Messing with me. Um, no, but beginning to look at this, and so I guess the, the way I wanted the flow of this conversation to go is that we'll kind of start off really deconstructing. We've kind of done this before, but I think just, just hammering this home, and I think this will probably be the final time we kind of hit on a topic directly like, uh, well, really just being able to contrast Donald uh, with his followers and the folks, mainly a lot of his followers, being people that would profess to say that they are Christians, that they follow after Jesus, they believe Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, um, and they believe, since they believe in him, that they're going to heaven type of a situation. Um, but there's a huge discrepancy between what their orange Messiah says and their bearded Jewish first century Messiah would say. You know, the, the whole the contrast between that and then I think we wanted to go into a little bit talking more about, um, because again, we, we're, we're at a stage where voter apathy is huge. And uh, when they've done polling, mainly both sides are just voting against the other side's candidate. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not voting for anybody. We're, this is one of those weird elections where there's nobody that we like. And um, so we'll pose the question, you know, why would it be okay to vote for a third party? Um, because, you know, so often we've heard that it's not like it's you're wasting your vote. And then I think that you brought something to my attention, too, is a really interesting article about um, talking about how the elect uh, our, our election cycle, our election system is rigged, but not in the way that Donald likes to talk about it being rigged, mm-hmm. um, which is rigged against Tom. Yes. Well, I mean, that's that's I mean, that's any bully. Right, you know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, I mean, that's any bully's perspective is if it's not going your way, someone must be cheating. Um, even though, and given a, a different situation, if they could cheat to get ahead, they absolutely would. Yeah. And even though we've, I mean, we have talked about Donald Trump before, I think this particular perspective kind of taps into something that has existed pre Donald Trump and in, in evangelical Christianity, just this 
sort of longing for like simpler times. And there's, you know, I think not just within conservative Christianity, but within conservatism in general, there's a strong pull of nostalgia. And I think that that oh, yeah. is a huge motivation in, in conservative sort of thought that, you know, there was a time where things were better. And I, I think sort of in, as an idea, conservatism, it's kind of like trying to hold on to things as they are and not let things, you know, progress into something different. And I know that's a pretty broad way of describing it, but I mean, if you think of, um, you know, this sort of nostalgia for, I mean, you hear like, for example, and, and I've heard this in many conservative churches, this idea that the forefathers were strong Christians and, you know, in early America, they centered the country around Christian principles um, which is, I mean, if you look into their biographies and, and the things they thought, I think people, uh, conservative Christians especially, would be pretty shocked at what some of the forefathers thought, you know, with like Thomas Jefferson, for example, mm-hmm. like cutting up the Bible and trying to take out the miracles of Jesus. And, you know, I mean, there were some, you know, Christians, we would think like Orthodox Christians, uh, but other others, you know, believe very kind of marginal things at the time, deism and things like, not marginal, but, you know, things that Christians would consider not Christian. Um, So there's, I don't know, within conservative movements, I think there's this kind of revisionist history that there was this time where things were better, and if we could only kind of recapture that in our own society, and, you know, this sort of, like, Trump phrase, make America great again, I think really taps into that emotional pull for a lot of conservative voters and conservative Christians. Well, it's, it's funny how, well, I mean, I think for all of us, and I think it's just, this is just a human problem, but that memory is a funny thing. And it's not the most accurate depiction of things that have happened before. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think we tend to either exaggerate it towards the positive or the negative, depending on the situation. And, I mean, even like what you're talking about, like the, the nostalgia of yesteryear, I mean, I think that you'd hear people say, like, we want it to be back, like, in the 1950s when Ronald Reagan was president. Right. You know, you're combining two things that actually were not congruent with one another, but somehow it all blends together, you know, mm-hmm. kind of in this melting pot of our brains and our memories of that to where, yes, I mean, again, like, the Republican Messiah, would, everyone always goes back to Reagan. Mm-hmm. Um, during that time period. But then we also, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just a weird mismatch of stuff. I mean, because, you know, to think that we want to go back to the 50s where everything was good and there was no sin and the world was just per- a perfect place, you know, type of a, type of a situation. But, yeah. you know, for us to get to, I mean, and again, I'm just using their, like this line of logic that I'm not actually endorsing what I'm saying here, you know, but to get to a Ronald Reagan period of time, you had to go through the 60s and the 70s to get there. You had mm-hmm. to go through the Vietnam. You had to go through the civil rights movement. You had to go through all these other kind of things. And so this idea that somehow that we don't, um, well, that history, I mean, like we are standing on the shoulders of those that have come before us. Mm-hmm. And, but that whole, I guess, standing on the shoulders idea, it's a mosaic of time of things that have affected things. And it's not always as simple as if we went back to this, that, or the other, or, you know, I guess the conservative cry would be, we need to get marriage back to what marriage always was. Yeah. You know, type of a thing to where, okay, so just hypothetically, like, let's do that. Mm-hmm. But if we were to do that, and again, I'm, again, just sitting, I'm not saying that it should, I'm just saying, you know, in this whole bubble of a, um, a hypothetical, I mean, does that change everything else? 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, does that right. does that does that mean that we have to like take technology? You know, because I think it was just uh, it was like last week where the it was 25th anniversary of the internet existing. Mm-hmm. You know, does that mean we wipe all that out? We wipe. I mean, because so I mean, progress doesn't. You can't necessarily go and collect the past in a bottle. Yeah, and and halter progress or change. I don't know. I mean, I I just think it's a w- weird way of kind of having a revisionist history about the way we look at today. Yeah, it's I mean, interesting you say that. We've been watching through. I'm so terrible with, especially like, um, kind of factual history, and you know, I I go basically on what people tell me a lot of times, and I, I take it with a grain of salt. But you know, except when I tell you things, this that's true. I just completely accept everything you say. Three grains. Um, salt. No, uh, but just the idea of Nixon even, and we were watching through the, the 60s series and kind of going back through the history of the 60s and um, in the 70s. And I, I just didn't realize that Nixon, um, you know, you, I, my view of Nixon really, and this is, shows how terrible at history I am, is basically informed by the show Futurama. Um, <laughs> I mean, really, most of what I know about Nixon comes from Futurama and other TV shows that, and, you know, he's always depicted as this terrible sort of criminal person. Um, But, you know, they at least start with, you know, Nixon did this, 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 and this in his sort of first term as president. And I'm like, wow, gosh, he actually, he got a lot done. Um, You know, but kind of looking back and and then seeing just how he was so like hard-headed about not, you know, I mean, he, he let so much of his, uh, work and the people around him sort of fall under the bus so that he could keep this like image of himself as com- uh, completely clean. Um, you know, which kind of reminds me of someone else that's uh, in politics right now um, that's running for president. Yeah. But, you know, just the sort of hubris of I'm not going to admit any of my faults and how it really destroyed his image as, you know, a president and his legacy. Um, and then sort of the flip side, growing up in a very conservative political home, um, you know, I was just taught, I was raised that Bill Clinton was this terrible person, that he did nothing good, that, you know, he was ruining our country. And then when I got older and was able to, you know, sort of listen to different people's accounts of the of the time, just hearing all the great things that he did for the country. And, you know, it's just interesting that, I mean, it depends on your your perspective. And I mean, Everyone, like you're saying, memory's a tricky thing, and and people are just going to leave the things out that you know don't fit their narrative. Um, maybe not consciously, but you know we're all shaping history in one way or another in our minds. And um, I think it's it's better to kind of take those things with a grain of salt and not sort of yearn for something that never existed. Well, I mean, with Nixon though, you have to give him at least some props for the fact that he deputized Elvis. Did he really? Yes. I didn't know into that. the FBI. There's a famous picture of him uh, shaking hands with Elvis. And, Did you uh, learn that from Drunk History? No, but that that is I, I do enjoy Drunk History. I think it is on Drunk History. Um, but yeah, that is now that you uh, say that. But and also mentioning Futurama, which is funny because my kids, um, I I just I I don't know. Again, being a father, I I I, I love seeing the world through my kids' eyes, and my mm-hmm. kids love Futurama. And when they've, because they were noticing overall, especially with Hillary, which I think everyone's noticed that, you know, she's like the human pantsuit mm-hmm. and you rarely see her neck. Mm-hmm. And um, 
they just keep assuming that because you know there's been all this stuff in the news about like is their health good is it bad is they are they hiding stuff is it not you know right um and they were just assuming that it's much like futurama that really all that is there is hillary's brain her head yeah, yeah. Ju- just on top of this like a mechanical animatronic body. yeah so <laughs> once they pointed that out i was like oh my gosh i can't unsee this now yeah <laughs> like when i see her walking around i was just like oh gosh is is there something to this? Right. Um, well, I think, and it, and that raises interesting questions uh, to me. Like hearing this in the media, that I mean, are, so we're not okay with people with disabilities, you know, being our our president, um, which raises all sorts of new questions. But well, that well, which is funny because a lot of that again, just the way it's it's structured, the attacks coming from the right onto Hillary's health. But I mean, if they're worried about, I mean, again, let's go back to the Republican Messiah, which would be Reagan, who's Second term, he was pretty much senile the entire time through. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's it's 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 just funny mm-hmm. how um, we will will hold to a certain standard when it benefits us, and when it doesn't, we just throw it out or act like it's not there, right? Type of a thing. And I think that no, but I think going through this, like what we're talking about, I like how you said, like like the whole concept of making America great again. Um, you know, it it raises a lot of questions. Like, what is what do you mean again? Mm-hmm. You know. Um, or is America not great now? Or does America need to be great again? And, and I think that um, one of the things that we try to do here is really, and I don't know that anyone really is ever listening, that, um, that would uh, be the people that we're trying to kind of splash cold water onto their beliefs. Um, mm-hmm. Because that's, you know, typically those folks that would turn into it. Though I will tell you during this political cycle, I have been listening to conservative talk radio. It, it, is, it is amusing and it is maddening all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but being able to say this, especially when we have like the religious right that is that is gone all in, or a lot of them, not all, you know, have gone all in on, with Trump and this idea of making things great again, and then when you begin to kind of parallel them and lay them side by side with with Jesus, asking those questions of, well, what would, you know, how would Jesus define great, you know, mm-hmm. or or the questions like you'd mentioned earlier when people say, oh, we were founded as a Christian nation, okay, you know, we can argue that all day long, but you know what would a Christian nation today look like? You know, what would, what would a nation founded like on, you know, even moving forward, not founded, but, you know, a nation run on, like, the principles and teachings of Jesus, how would that look? Let's make Israel great again. <laughs> we could. Was that Jesus's? Um, it was, that, that's exactly, exactly is what it was. But no, but you're right. I mean, but looking at that, I mean, I think that we don't ever, like, we like to hearken back again because it's easy mainly just because we can pick and choose the facts that we wanted to when we hearken back to stuff, you know, but on the flip side then saying, okay, that's fine. I mean, if we really are going to, and again, this, I think most of this conversation we're having here is not even really our own personal opinions. It's really just based upon like hypotheticals and what we're talking through, you know? (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm not saying that I, I want, uh, that we need somebody that is a, a huge Bible thumper as a president of the United States or anything else like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if we were to begin to look at some of the principles, you know, that we have of, of, of Christ, you know, I think his version of what greatness is, is very different than Trump's. Mm-hmm. And so then it's an interesting thing when you're trying to make these weird bedfellows of, of politics and religion together. Right. And it, it, they just, they don't work out. You know, yeah. it's, it becomes like you end up having some sort of a weird hybrid spawn that uh, once it happens, like in any kind of sci-fi thing. Uh, you're just like, we just need to kill it. And, and the relevance here is that I think, um, as we've talked about you know, many times on the show, that generally conservatives want, they, they kind of hold both. It's this idea that um, you know, 
the way that God's kingdom is going to be built is by sort of putting people in the government, you know, to to make America this place that will stand for whatever ideals conservatives believe in, but then those are somehow like strangely married to Christian principles. But when you really start digging in, um, and that's, I think, sort of the point of this article uh, by, by Christina Forrester about Trump and making America great again, is that, I mean, really, when you start digging into what Jesus taught, that it's very different from Donald Trump's definition of great. And, you know, that, I, th- I think it's interesting, this perspective that I, I, Donald Trump, he, I mean, he's giving you Donald Trump. He's not, yeah. he's not hiding anything. I mean, he's going to tell you what he thinks and, and how he feels. And it's interesting because, at least in the South, um, there, uh, I've, I feel like there's kind of two levels of living. You've got that sort of surface level where, you know, people want to be, um, make other people comfortable and, and feel welcome. And, um, and I'm not criticizing that. I mean, I, I think hospitality is, is very important. I think that's a biblical principle, really, making mm-hmm. people feel welcome and, you know, feeding people and things like that. But then in, in the South, also, I, I love the book uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil because I think it really d- displays well this sort of two two tier you've got the top tier which is you're welcome but then the bot the lower deeper tier which is i'm going to talk about you behind your back and there's this kind of cd um at least in where i grew up and um you know sort of uh closer to western north carolina um they won't you know it, it won't be told to your face it will be told behind your back um you know Trump Trump's not doing that. Trump's New York, right? So yeah. I mean he's he's gonna give you what he feels. But um I think conservative Christians and or conservative political people are are still trying to maintain that like two tier thing. And what Donald Trump is doing is really exploding it because he's not I mean, he's Trump. You know, he's gonna say whatever he thinks. And so for him, great is powerful, great is rich, great is, you know, this and that. And I think if you really dig into what Jesus taught, it's, I mean, it's very contrary to that notion of great, um, where, you know, if you want to get into like conservative uh, principles, this idea that um, you don't want to tax the rich because of like trickle down economics or whatever sort of principle that they'll be able to create more jobs and things like that. Um, but I, Jesus didn't see the world in that way. He didn't think, and I, th- I think really in Judaism as a whole, the system doesn't really support the idea that wealth belongs to like one or two people who will create wealth for others. It's, I mean, wealth is very much, and this is not a, I mean, this isn't Mark's talking. This is Jesus. This is, these are the early Christians talking that, you know, God provides stuff and then that stuff is meant to be for everyone. So yeah. if you read like the story of Naboth's vineyard, um, uh, shoot, and I'm not thinking of the guy's name. It's uh, Jezebel's husband. Mm-hmm. Ahab? Is that right? No, that's not right. Anyway, um, so he, he goes and takes a vineyard. Uh, he takes Naboth's vineyard, and he's cursed for that. Um, were you laughing? No. Oh, okay. I can't see you beyond my little like shield here. I'm just giggling. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, he takes, uh, he takes this guy's vineyard and the vineyard really represents God's sort of providence. It's, you know, the land was something that was given to you as a blessing and you worked it and it was sort of your, 
I mean, it was your blessing in that you got food and, and stuff from it, but it was also like your identity, you know, and it was your family inheritance. And I mean, those things are really important. Um, you also like shared with other people in the tribe or you shared with other people around you. And I, I don't know, it was a very like physical, tangible sort of material representation of something that's become very abstract now and like money and stuff like that. But I just, uh, you know, Jesus is like, from that worldview. He's from that system where, I mean, God's blessings come down to everyone and they're meant for everyone. And yet, you know, sort of conservative uh, political thought is, I I think it's okay with like, let's give breaks to lesser people so that they can make more opportunity for everyone. Well, and and you you were kind of getting on this. and, and, And I think this is where a lot of times we go wrong. Um, when you begin to try to, to put together this, uh, I guess, a religious ideology versus a political ideology. And it's not like, I mean, I think that we, we're assuming it's like we're comparing apples to apples because they're both ideologies. You know, mm-hmm. but, but I think it ends up being something like, I don't know, it's not even apples and oranges. It's like apples and unicorns or something. You know, mm-hmm. it, they just don't even go together at all because, you know, one of, I think, the genius of of what Jesus was laying out in this idea of the kingdom of God, especially when, when he's doing this, like in the shadow of the Roman empire, mm-hmm. uh, which what I would also say is much more like make America great again. We might as well say make Rome great again type, you know, type of a situation. Mm-hmm. But, but, but really the way of life that he was laying out for these people um, was something that you really can't squash. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's an idea. And, and I think that that idea was, was really dangerous when you're coming up against an empire like Rome that is very much a uh, brute force. It is brick and mortar. It is a very solid, tangible, here's where it is. Mm-hmm. And then you have this idea that, uh, one, that we're supposed to elevate the, those that are suffering or those that are less than in, in culture. Mm-hmm. You know, and we begin to have this, these other ideas because you don't squash ideas in that way. You know what I mean? Like this is this this is a weird thing that comes up against uh, up against Rome because again, Rome knows how to take care of its enemies. Uh, you just go and you crush them, um, or you know you go and you adopt certain parts of uh, well, which is kind of what they eventually. I guess they hamstrung Christianity in a certain sense by kind of taking on parts of it uh, and blending it together. But really, just I think the the whole like thrust of what Jesus was going after was was something that is that is founded on action and it's founded on love and it's founded in, in a sense that is interpersonal um, that you have between people. And, and so I think that kind of a thing is far more dangerous than anything that we can put together brick and mortar. And when you begin to look at the way that Trump is trying to go out and do stuff, it's not really with any kind of principle of love behind any of it. It's really that thing of how do we maintain power? How do we get more power? And, and how do we make sure that we silence the voices of those that are less than in this? And, you know, I think that in many ways you can say that that's, and, and I guess we've said this before in so many ways, I, I, just, I just don't see how you can kind of uh, hit your cart to this if you're going to say that you are a follower of Jesus. Yeah, and that, I, like the, the notion of great, that's, I really love in this article how she's kind of questioning, like, what is what does Trump mean by that when he says make America great again? And he's, he's pretty clear. It's winning. It's, you know, not losing. It's um, like owning as much as possible. Or when you come up in a conflict, you're the winner, you're the victor, you're the sort of master of your world. 
um, and how contrary that runs to Jesus. Um, but again, going back to this idea that I think in conservatism, you want to sort of mask what great means. So great means I win, but I win and it'll make everyone win. Yeah. I don't, oh, yeah. I don't know that Trump, I mean, there's definitely, I think he's trying to sort of um, toe the party line with this, you know, when I win, everyone wins kind of thing, you know, because it's making America great again. Um, but, you know, I, I think for conservatives, even it's, it's, that's a little too brash because we don't want to, you know, you don't want to be on the nose in that when I win, I win. Um, and that's what, I mean, that's basically what Trump's going to say. It's, yeah. I win. Um, and for Jesus, it's, I mean, he's coming out and saying the exact opposite. So uh, in the article, the author cites Mark, 10, uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 35 and 45. That's the story of two, two of the followers of Jesus who are brothers. And it's kind of strange they get their mother or their mother like sneaks up to Jesus, I think, and tries to say, you know, can they have basically the most powerful seat next to yours? Once the um, kingdom happens. Yeah, it, when the kingdom is established. And, and at this point, they're not thinking like metaphorical kingdom. They're thinking, you know, literally there's going to be a kingdom. There's going to be seats. And they should, you know, I mean, they're with you. They're following you. They've been there the whole time. Do you mind if they have some really powerful seats in your kingdom? And Jesus flips it on its head and says, you know, the most powerful seats are the least. They, yeah. would, they would be the ones like, you know, by the door helping people in or washing their feet, you know. Um, and I mean, just, and then take that and think, would you ever hear that coming out of Trump's mouth? Yeah. I mean, really, if, and then start digging down beneath the pretense of kind of rhetoric. And I mean, really, I mean, let's be real on democratic or Republican side are either sides kind of saying that at that point in politics that, you know, and, and I'm saying, so we've been talking about, uh, Trump's phrase, make America great. Well, I'm thinking also about like Hillary's it's my turn. And I don't know if that's <laughs> yeah. ever been like officially a motto, but I've, I've I've heard her say it. You know, this it's my turn now. Which I mean, actually which actually sounds like a kid. You know what I mean, a little kid like it's my turn now. Yeah, absolutely. It's very I I don't know and and that too. And she, you know, she's a Methodist, so I mean, she does I mean, she claims Christianity is her religion. Um and I, I don't think that's very Jesus like either. Even though, so are you saying she's a Muslim? Is that what we're going after? We're going to get four more years of that. No, I'm kidding. Keep going. And I, and I know she's she's also tapping into this idea, which I, I have no problem with. This of you know, when has a woman ever been sort of symbolically like in power in government? Um, to, I mean, the office of president, um, and and what that would represent to people, um, which you know, again, that, I have no problem with that. But I really feel like part of it's my turn does tap into this sort of, um, and I, I have this hard, I have a hard time after watching house of cards and I don't want to give any spoilers <laughs> away, but just the way that Claire Underwood really embodies that idea of, you know, and they've made her more likable, I think as, as time's gone on, but that sort of idea of you, you know, I am promised this seat of power and it's my turn to take it. Yeah, which sounds more Game of Thronesy as well too. If yeah, you combine it does. those two. No, no, but you have. I mean, what's an interesting point? Um, and and I think that we missed this point, and hopefully I'll make the point. Um, within this, I mean, yes, you're right. I mean, if the the glass ceiling being shattered is a wonderful thing 
um, especially for women and for girls that that would look up to Hillary. Mm-hmm. But I mean, do we say and see again, I think here's what we're going to do here. We're going to trash both sides. So, again, you're not you know, this isn't we're not endorsing anybody with this. Um, but is this more about Hillary or is this more about making the country better? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, like in, this ends up being almost like we're standing behind someone's personal journey and we get to somehow be a part of it. Like we're, you know, sitting and watching a football game. Mm-hmm. You know, I can watch a team win and feel good about myself, but have I really accomplished anything by besides just killing four hours of my afternoon? Now I will still continue to kill those four hours of my afternoon, especially with college football coming back on. But, but you know what I mean? Like it ends up being something to where we are cheering these other people on for doing stuff and the other people are doing it to fulfill their own personal destiny to do this thing. Right. Right. And it, and it, and, and none of which that we're hearing stuff about is really about what, like, what do we need? Mm-hmm. You know, again, going back to this idea of, you know, making America great again and even taking religion out of it. Like if, even if you were just to look at this from a very just uh, basic standpoint, you know, do either of these people, are they going to meet the needs of our country moving into the next time period and beyond, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't think we'd ask those questions. I think we just like to, again, get into like a, you know, a two person horse race and we just like to pick apart which is, you know, we just pick apart flaws on each sides of these these two people mm-hmm. without really asking the broader question. Right. And I don't know if some of it is just how this has become more of a, um, I don't know, it does. It feels like a sporting event for how we're moving towards that. And, and I think in there, and I, I mean, I think that we've kicked around probably Trump enough because I, I made the mistake of promising um, a lot of conversation pieces. <laughs> and I think we got, we got caught on one. No, but I mean, I think, I mean, if you really just go back to this, it's the most ridiculous thing ever to somehow, because again, I've heard people say that, oh, he's the new uh, David, like comparing him to King David from the Bible right, or anything right. else like that, you know, or you know, we'd said uh, people comparing him to Winston Churchill. I mean, all, all this other kind of stuff is just ridiculous, especially if you're trying to do this when you have like this mold of who Jesus is mm-hmm. uh, and, and was and uh, t- what he taught, and all of these other kind of things, and none of them, none of them really belong, A, in politics, period. Uh, but, uh, but B, like, I, I just, I do not see this person embodying really any of these things. Yeah, and, and you're kind of bringing up this point, just I, I wanted to reiterate, like, when I'm making my criticisms, it's, it's not aimed towards any sort of, like, group um, other than Christians. And especially just because I think Christians, because like kind of the point you're making that, I mean, the, the government and religion have been just sort of like mishmashed, especially in the United States, um, that people just tend to, uh, they tend to conflate their religion with, I mean, it, I would even say like on the democratic side, there is a lot of moral conflation with, you know, voting Democrat means I'm making a moral vote. If I were to vote Republican, that would be immoral. So I'm going to vote, you know, Democrat. Um, So maybe not even just Christians, but I mean, my comments uh, are strictly for it's, it's not that, you know, I don't want to see this person or that person in, in office. It's more that that really has nothing to do with your Christianity. It doesn't have to do with kind of like Christ at all. And I think it's, it's more an affront to me that candidates tend to kind of relate themselves to Jesus or they will sort of pull on those religious strings so that they can get votes basically. Or like if in a maybe more succinct uh, gutter way of putting it, I mean, 
we're both ex-pastors who are kind of just pissed off at the way Christianity has become. Mm-hmm. In and, the United and States. United States. And that's kind of what we're decrying here against and not necessarily endorsing or uh, saying anything other than that. Does that make sense? I don't, I don't know. You yeah, know I, yeah. I, think, I think that was kind of like what you were partially also trying to say is that, that yeah, we're not even really picking apart complete politics here, but just the, the crazy just hypocrisy of, I don't know, of trying to combine these. And in the article with, like, we're referencing, there was two things I loved that she had said. One um, was to deny um, any other way but love is to deny Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think, again, with both of these, with both of these candidates that we have here, and again, I'm not saying I'm wanting to vote you know, which one is more Messiah-like. But I'm saying is, you know, Hillary is, is a hawk. I mean, she's going to put us back in war with somebody, you know, mm-hmm. or grow the military. And the same thing with Trump, who is very much pro-torture, you know, and things of mm-hmm. that nature. So, I mean, and, you know, I just go back to that, you know, to deny any other way but love is to deny Christ. And, you know, and, and I think one of her main points, too, at the end of it was, like, you cannot embrace something that you completely stand against. And, and I think that we end up having these weird dichotomies to where this is my faith, this is the person that will embody my faith the best mm-hmm. Yeah, to go here or really it comes down to this person's going to give me what I want more. Right. And I think that's when people like to say that they're voting their faith. I think they're really just trying to say he's going to give me what I want. Yeah. Or I'm more comfortable with this person because they, they're most like me, not they're most like Jesus, you know, unless you are somehow Jesus, <laughs> you know, that's true. Um, so we haven't actually asked him about what he's doing in this election. Yeah. Yeah. Who are you voting for? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but so within that, so a, that's where we're at with those things. And I think that one thing that you and I have both said the whole time is that we don't like either of our options. Yeah. I'm going forward within this. And it even bothers me more that most of America is voting against the other opponent and actually really not for anybody. Right. Right. Um, and which brings us to this whole idea of, is there, because I've always been brought up to, 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 uh, to have been told this, that voting third party is, is you're flushing your vote down the toilet. Right. It's a waste. It's a waste. And um, this is another one that uh, the article kind of, I stumble into that was just beginning to talk through this, this whole thought of why it's not a waste to be able to vote for a third party mm-hmm. candidate. I don't know. Where do you stand on that, Ben? I just, to me, the, so the notion of voting, it's, it's kind of like buying stuff. It's you are saying this is this is what I think, you know, is worth a value, basically. Um, and you're talking about kind of reactionary voting of, you know, I don't want um, I don't want like this person to be president then. But to me, it's more saying that, I mean, I think that there is an idea. There's sort of a, a symbolic gesture that the more people that will vote for third party they're saying, I'm sick of two-party voting. It's so, I mean, two-party voting is very marginal. Yeah. Um, to me, I, I actually had someone tell me once that it could be no other way in the United States except for two parties. That, to me, is so defeatist, and it really frustrates me that to vote third party or to vote, you know, even saying third party is very limiting, um, is to say there should be other options. Well, because I want to have a bronze yeah. in this whole thing, <laughs> right? We need to have that. Exactly. I don't know. No, but you're right. I mean, you're, you're, you're absolutely right about that. And um, this, some of the stuff that we're hopping off of comes from an article uh, called uh, Your Vote for a Third-Party Candidate Won't Be a Waste in 2016 by Mark uh, Joffe. And um, one of the things that, that, that I think he said pretty early on in the article, and I'll just read it directly, was that uh, the belief that voting 
uh, for a candidate destined to lose is a waste, uh, confuses voting with betting. Unlike the lottery, there is no immediate reward for picking the winning candidate. And by voting for the lesser of two evils, each voter uh, marginally helps a bad candidate take office. And, and so I think it's an interesting idea that we're beginning to look at. Well, one thing is I think that beginning to look at this in, in a longer term. Right. You know, exactly. th- than, than in an immediate term to where, yes, this, this needs to happen. I mean, even like, I think even the weirdness of our, of our two-party system is, is, again, what pushed Bernie to, uh, who's been an independent his whole career, to actually dip his toes, uh, maybe way more than dip his toes, with, in with the, the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. You know, to be able to run, because again, I think in, in his mind was that that's the only way to legitimize myself. Because mm-hmm. I know like through the whole process with Bernie, it kept coming back to where they had like Jill Stein with the Green Party kept saying, uh, come over here. I will run with you. Come and do this. And right. all I ever heard of was Bernie's not returning my phone calls. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. the whole time, because again, I, I, you know, I think he was trying to see a change happening within, uh, well, they're both corrupt parties, but I was going to say, you know, within the uh the corruption and the uh, whatever you would want to say where the democratic party is mm-hmm. um you know i think he was trying to reform something that was already there and that seemed to be a shorter path mm-hmm. um towards being able to hopefully make real change and i i think you know just thinking in general about the two party system i've i've read some non conspiratorial books i mean these things have actual like stories of uh voting and like congress and things like that that really reflect, it's more like one party. I mean, a lot of, I think, behind the scenes where actual things happen, a lot of times there's much more, um, there, there's, there's much more hand-holding and back-patting and stuff like that than we think because it keeps people in their seats. And, you know, I mean, they're, they're making money. Uh, there's, like, a really rich, complex system of people with jobs and they want to keep their jobs. So, you know, they don't want to destroy themselves by, like, letting in too many marginal ideas. So, I mean, really, when you think about it, even though it looks like there are two parties, I mean, there's kind of, like, one party. They're, they're just, they're partying together. Well, and I remember this, and this is kind of, I don't know if it's just pulling us too far back into the, to the religious thing, but I remember this is, this is years ago. I, I read an article, and it was, um, by author Mike Iaconelli, and it was like it was an essay that was entitled um, "How to Get Fired for the Glory of God." And so the whole his whole premise was if you can if you as like a pastor if you begin to do uh, ministry the way Jesus did it with the ideals that Jesus did it, uh, and you started doing these things, you were gonna you were gonna get fired. And so it's much of like what you're saying here is that you end up being stuck in a system, you end up being stuck in a place that. Hey, if it if it's your livelihood, if it's you trying to pay the bills, if it's you trying to get ahead in the world, um, again, I guess we keep all going back to this, but it ends up being all about. Uh, it, it's a very selfish process. Yeah, it's survival. Yes, right. Um, and it's not about. It's not really anymore about the greater good. Um, especially with with all of the corporate uh, lobbying and everything else that we have going on here, um, it feels like it's less and less about us, the people. Yeah. anymore and really it's about what happens behind closed doors i mean we've seen that with a lot of the um the wiki leaks that happen with the dnc and everything else that goes on back there um and i I would be just assured that if there was a wiki leaks of the the rnc it would be just as bad mm-hmm. you know what i mean like it's easy to demonize one but i think yeah, that yeah. you know anytime you like pull the rock up and look underneath it there's a whole lot of stuff going on down there that you probably didn't want to see right and and uh, it, ignorance is bliss oftentimes yeah and but, just, I mean, the, the theoretical soil 
of capitalism is survival. I mean, without that notion that everyone, every individual is out to get every other individual and you've got to look out for number one, it's not just Republicans, it's Democrats. It's every, I mean, if, if you're buying into kind of a capitalist system, you're buying into that idea that, you know, everyone's out for themselves. Um, that at, at its, no, you know, sort of basis notion, um, well, uh, Jesus taught the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he taught not survival. Um, he taught selflessness and giving and just, you know, I, I just don't see how the Christian worldview can really coexist with this sort of at its base, like I'm looking out for number one. Yeah. But I'm just trying to, yeah. And I don't know if I made those illusions hard enough earlier, but it works the exact same thing the way, I mean, and we've talked about this on other ones, but, um, where the idea of capitalism, consumerism has really overrun the church to where it functions just like everything else. You know, like other businesses, everything else. And it's really about, we end up having a system where whoever that person in charge is, they want to stay in charge for as long as they can because it's not about the greater good of the people. It's really just about, again, um, either how do you continue to climb higher up that metaphorical ladder uh, towards success or just continue just to amass things around yourself um, with that. And so, I mean, I think that we see the same thing happening. I mean, again, I think politics are and this may sound stupid, but politics are a process, you know, a product of our culture, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think that, um, for us even to go back, like you'd mentioned this way earlier in the show that the idea that, Oh, and everyone loves to say this, you know, that the founding fathers uh, created all this on Christian principles and everything else too. We don't even really completely know all that was going on back then. Nah. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, yes, I know that we have history books. Yes. I know all that other kind of stuff, but I mean, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's I, very I, redacted. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure that a lot of those guys own slaves. Let's put it that way. And I, that's very not Christian principle to own slaves. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, Old Testament. No, but yeah, I mean, I, it'd be very un-Jesus-y. Yes. Um, to, to be able to go down the road doing that. But no, but I think the whole point of what we were trying to get at, even though we continue just like to weave in and out of this, I mean, is that, that when you were, I don't think it's a bad thing to be able to, if, you know, if you're voting, you know, to begin to look at these other candidates as well, too. Mm-hmm. You know, I would, I would, I would much rather uh, people get disgusted and not vote against a candidate, but actually go vote for somebody that actually is going to bring about the change that you want to see happening. And and this the whole purpose of this too is as ex pastors talking through this whole idea is not for us to say, oh, the Libertarian Party they're G- more Jesusy than the Green Party or right. or vice versa or whatever that is. You know, again, you know, I think the whole thing is you know. You want to keep the salt and the salt shaker and the pepper and the pepper shaker, and um, sometimes it'll mix as you're eating food. But you know, you, you want to keep these things separate. I think, um, and it doesn't mean that your faith can't inform the way that you look at the world. It should, um, but just because somebody else tells you that they uh, that what they are doing is what you believe in your faith, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm stumbling over this idea, but I mean, I just kind of get, I just, I really get tired of the fact that again, we see these people, these these leaders. Uh, from, well, these Christian leaders that will stand behind people and tell people, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to go after. And learn to think for yourself. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that that's the, one of the whole, like, the innate nature of God creating humans was also giving us a consciousness mm-hmm. um, and not creating us into necessarily sheep, even though I know that can be picked apart with a lot of different, uh, well, Bible um, allegories and things of that nature with the idea of being a sheep. But, um, but no, I mean, I think think for yourself. I mean, I think wrestle this out. Don't take other people's word for them. And I think challenge things. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I just my thing is I like that you're you're sort of getting down to the bare bones of. I mean, what more more of what we say on the show? I think is this: it's icky to mix religion and and politics, and at its base, like Jesus didn't want that. Um, and I I think kind of going into politics, I mean, when people make their their choices and people vote and things like that, just do you know the whole purpose of voting is to kind of say, this is how I think the country should be run. Um, and I think it's, uh, you know, it's just as uh, bullyish or is that a word? Bullyish? Sure. It is now <laughs> bullying. Um, I mean, it's, it's bullish man, just as manipulative to, for, you know, I think the conservative uh, party, the Republicans get kind of, um, decried for saying, you know, if you're a Christian, you should vote for Republicans, you know, that sort of stuff. I think it's also manipulative for people to say, you know, if you vote for a third party, we could have Trump as president. Oh, no. Um, You know, I mean, that's manipulative, too, because people, I mean, they have reasons for wanting to vote. You know, they're tired of seeing sort of the status quo. Um, And, you know, and, and just on a political level, I, I don't I don't know enough to have really an informed opinion about how these things like progress and change and all that sort of stuff. But kind of on a Christian level, that's that's just something different. And that, like you said, I mean that informs your worldview. Um, but don't let that kind of manipulate how you vote. Um, and and also that sort of moralizing talk about you should or shouldn't do this when you're voting. I mean it's the same thing. That that should not inform how people are voting. And also, especially when pastors are telling people how to vote, that's a huge violation of their 501c3 nonprofit status. Yeah, so, that's true. I mean, it is. Every time I hear that these kind of things come out of people's mouths, especially like from pulpits, I'm always like, yeah. <laughs> You've uh, got to pay taxes now, buddy. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. If you want to turn this into political organization, just rock it out that way. I mean, but just own what you are. Mm-hmm. in that and so lastly i know we had promised a little bit talking about this uh the election system being rigged but not in the way that we think it is mm-hmm. so ben can you give me a 30 second synopsis of that and then we will kind of go to closing ideas oh my goodness um <laughs> i don't think i could do it in 30 seconds it's just the idea 45. that um <laughs> you know uh, so like primaries for example just i think basically in the article he's saying things like straight ticket voting primaries, um, the way that Congress is set up, um, sort of the way that like zones of voting are set up, um, and the, the, the sort of emotions that go behind voting, all of those things, they, they kind of rig us into having to have a a two party system. So in, in, I guess, especially what he was saying in there is that we are more the problem than actually the system and the stuff that may be going behind the scenes. Yeah, and like, and just the idea that a two-party system itself is rigged. Yeah. That 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 in and of itself is, you know, quote-unquote not fair, because that's what rigged means, not fair. So, I mean, a two-party system really is not fair, because the way we've set our country up forces people to vote for one person or another. So we're essentially just enablers. Sort of. Of the problem. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we never have enough time, do we? No. As we get to the end of this broadcast, just a reminder that you can catch us on podcast at www.snarkyfaith.com. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook. Just look up Snarky Faith, and we will catch you again next week. We are out of here. 
WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors. Aqueduct Conference Centre was established in 1978 as a peaceful destination for small group meetings, special events, conferences, retreats, and weddings. For more information, go to www.aqueductcc.com. We are also sponsored by Lumen. Lumen, a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question askers, doubters, and skeptics, is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be better than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com. Thank you.